Welcome to the Solve for Greatness podcast with your hosts, Dr. G and Budima. This podcast hopes to inspire everyone to realize their own greatness, maximize their potential, and create massive impact. Let's do this. Welcome to episode six, Solve for Greatness. Buddhima, are you ready? Let's do it, man. <laughs> Let's do it. Brother, I am absolutely sick of hearing the same feedback over and over again for our podcast, and it's always the same. Gihan, shut up. We want to hear more from Buddhima. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to give the people what they want, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I thought I was being selfish just from listening to you speak because I always feel like you've got a lot of captivating things to say. So Look, I don't I know. I'm, I'm kind of, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I, I might be going against some of our viewers or listeners. I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate you. But um, let's let's share this gift that you have. And today, we're going to talk about empowerment. Why is that important to you? And why did you pick that topic? Well, empowerment to me has always been, it's been part of my life. I would say that it is definitely part of my purpose statement, which is to create impact for myself and the people around me in a positive, hardworking and healthy way. And I think empowerment goes a long way towards doing that for m- both myself and the people around me. Your purpose statement. So um, perhaps a lot of our listeners won't be even familiar with what that is. I mean, we're familiar with having a purpose statement for like at an organizational level perhaps, but not on an individual level. Can you Can you explain that process and even how you got to a purpose yeah statement? yeah that's um that's a good that's a good question uh, so the way that I got to it was looking at what was important to me what I wanted to achieve and accomplish and just formulating a statement that outlines that and it's got to do with introspection just working towards what I want in life for me personally it just means to em- empower the people around me you know to create impact in their lives was there a particular journey you took to create that statement? Because that introspection sounds like a process and a journey that you took. I'm intrigued, I guess, from the lens of if someone listening can perhaps even replicate it in their lo- own lives and, and come up with their own purpose statement after listening to this episode, if they don't have one. Yeah. So the process I went through, I actually went through it with my coach, who's a mutual friend of ours and someone we'll have on the podcast, Dr. Marley. She just sat me down and asked me to look through, look within myself and look at what was important to me. What are my values? What's my goal in life? What are some of the objectives or the key milestones I want to achieve? And then create a statement around some of those things. And there was a recurring theme and it was always about giving back to the people around me, you know, that raised me up. It's definitely about um, being able to put your ego aside and give yourself to a cause that's greater than yourself. But not just that, to rally the people around you to be their best selves, including 
yourself. Yeah. So that's empowerment to me. And um, that was the process I went through to have that realization. That's really cool. That's really cool. And it sounds like such a valuable thing to do for anyone. Before you had those coaching sessions, did you have a purpose statement or did you have anything along those lines, anything to guide you? Yes. Well, my purpose statement before was um, to create an environment that empowers the people around me. So that was my purpose statement before. But then I didn't go to the depths of highlighting everything that was important to me, everything that I could do, everything that was within my control, um, what I'm passionate about, what my values are, you know, so things like that. I didn't document those. And after I documented those, the picture started to become more clear. And that's how I came up with um, my new purpose statement. And I think these kinds of things change over time as you mature and develop. You're a constantly growing organism. So these things change over time. And what's important to me now may not be important to me into the future, just based on life circumstance. Again, it's being true to yourself and knowing when, when you may have to change what's important to you and what your purpose is. What about yourself? Do you have a purpose statement? Yes. And I, and I just want to say, trust Buddhima to remind all of us that we are organisms. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't used that word for so long. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a throwback to our um, high school days. Yes. Year 11 and 12 bio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I have a purpose name as well. I, I think, um, interestingly, Mali helped me get there as well. <laughs> <laughs> My my purpose statement is, or set of values, I never really call it a purpose statement, is is to prioritize happiness, service, and growth in all facets of my life, so both for myself and everyone around me. What I find is that it's almost like a North Star, like it helps guide decisions, it helps make sure that you're aligned with the decisions that you're making in your life. Is that a similar experience for you? Do you how, how do you actually use this in practice? Yeah, actually, one thing that really helped me kind of zone in or narrow in on what my purpose statement should be is thinking about the times where I wasn't living into my purpose and how I felt and how disempowered I felt. And that helped me narrow down, you know, okay, well, here here are the here are some of the values that I have because it's the opposite of what I felt at that time mm-hmm. or what I wanted at that time. So that's what really helped me guide my decision making (laughs) i know it's a weird it's a it's a weird juxtaposition because it's like what would i do okay but what's the opposite of that (laughs) so kind of weird it helped narrow it down for me um what really comes to mind is jamie fox's analogy you know jamie fox right i'm i'm aware of this this organism yes (laughs) (laughs) he's he's an incredible storyteller he's just incredibly captivating but he uses this great analogy for how he raises his kids and he compares it to an archer and he compares himself to someone that holds the bow and his children, they knock the arrow, pull back and as Jamie Foxx is guiding the bow, the you know his kids, they get to decide when to release Ooh. and how, you know, how strong so that they hit the target. I really like that analogy. Um, it kind of just goes to show you're not necessarily the one in control, but you're empowering them so that they feel confident enough that one day that they can take that bow and you know go through the motion themselves. Yeah, that's a sensational analogy for empowerment. That's mm. 
Absolutely. And the more you think about it, the more layers it, it probably has, right? Yeah. The more applications it has. I love that. Yeah. And the really interesting thing about that is, is that you're giving up control by not being in control, giving that to someone that you trust or there's this mutual trust built in then there's vulnerability there as well. And I think um, by by giving up that control, you're um, saying that it's okay to make mistakes. And sometimes you may see things going wrong, but as long as you're overseeing or, or looking from above and you're letting people make mistakes or mistakes naturally happen, then that's something that needs to be encouraged and because it's an, it's an essential part of the learning process. Agreed. It's almost like you, yeah, you give permission for mistakes mm. and the implication is that there's value in it. There's value in giving space for mistakes and I guess that release of control is, is, is beautiful in a sense, right? Like you sort of, you guide, it, but you give that autonomy and you empower that person that you trust to let go of the, the arrow and, and wherever it lands is sort of, it's almost like you can't control it. You can maybe influence it slightly, but you don't know where it's going to land until it lands. Mm. That's kind of beautiful in a way. Yeah, that's right. If you're trying to hit a target and it doesn't hit the target, then you can provide advice so you can guide them so that they can develop the muscle memory themselves. And, you know, one day supersede your capabilities. I think that would be the the best case scenario, someone that not only takes the advice that you gave them, but makes it their own and they completely outshine your expectation. Almost like the student becoming the teacher. Yes, that's right. That would be the most rewarding thing. I think that's really telling to the kind of person you are and how much you live into your purpose statement for you to get so much joy in someone that you help for them to supersede you or supersede your expectations. Can you define empowerment? And just set a context for even why that was a recurring theme for you. Because it's a very specific thing to come to. I imagine there's a, a story or a, a series of stories to get you to those that point in your life. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as I said before, I'd probably say my definition, my personal definition for empowerment would be putting your ego aside to give yourself to a cause that's higher than you or to give yourself to a mission or a vision that either you have or an organization have or um, what you want to achieve for the future, to not just do that but to um, rally all the people around you towards that vision, that common goal. I think that's empowerment, yeah. And I, I would say that for a long period of time I felt like I was, I, I was disempowered I felt like I was kind of moving through life aimlessly. And I think that by not taking control of the direction that my life was going, I felt as if I was just in the passenger seat and I was watching things happen to me. But it wasn't until something clicked in my brain. And I think it had to do with moving into my professional career as an engineer. When I first got an internship, my eyes were completely opened to my capability, as I was moving through my role and learning more and more, I started to gain more and more confidence. And that was when I started to explore the parts of myself that I was shut off to previously when I was the passenger. 
And I think it's that building and developing of confidence that really helped me look at exploring those parts of myself. I, I really like that analogy of being in the passenger seat. I guess what came to mind is my impression is that we all start in the passenger seat, both literally <laughs> and in this context. And is there, is there value in that? To, uh, is there value in starting in the passenger seat? Yeah, to feel disempowered first. No. <laughs> I think, why couldn't I be the driver? You know, as you're learning to drive, those cars that the driving instructors have that have the pedals in the passenger seat, the ones that like you can, you yes, can slam yes. on the brakes when, when you yeah. see. And, and a steering wheel. And they have the steering wheel as well when I, when I did my. Really? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I did, yeah, I did. Yeah. They really didn't trust me. They really didn't trust me. I, I did my L's in my in my mom's car. <laughs> that was good. But yeah, as I was saying, why couldn't I be the driver in one of those cars? Because it all depends on your upbringing. And if you're taught to value self-preservation to an extent, which I think I probably, on introspection, that would have probably been my preference, self-preservation, then you kind of just shut yourself off to thoughts, ideas, and um, new ways of thinking and, you know, innovating, things like that, which is a byproduct of being empowered. But once you develop enough confidence, why can't we just jump into the driving seat, but have someone that's um, more experienced than you sit in the passenger seat and kind of just guide you from there? I think that would have been a far more, because it, it took me, and again, like there's varying degrees of this, but it took me a long time to realize and and it took me through failure to multiple multiple failures to get to where I am now but I feel like if you want to start the best way would probably be to jump into the driver's seat so it seems like you've gone through quite a few failures before you got to this point and I dare say you'll have more failures I'm not gonna wish it upon you but I mean, I think it's a good thing, so I, I sort of do wish it upon you. Oh, 100%, 100% man. <laughs> no, wish it upon me. I want that. Like, that's that's perfect. Failure means learning. There's And, and again, like, it just depends on how you um, phrase it. But, yeah, there's no, there's no failure. There's mm. only learning. Or only feedback. Yeah, only feedback. Yeah. So the caveat that I, I would love for you to explore is, you being like starting in the driving seat. The only thing I question is for you to feel like you were in the driver's seat, you went on a journey that required you to build some level of confidence and competency. And I wonder when you're going on that journey, is there any value? Like, do you have to start in the passenger seat and go to the driver's seat? Or you think it's better, and correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm hearing is, to start in the driver's seat, but find yourself a mentor or a coach that can fast track that process for you, and which helps you build the confidence, but also is empowering for you. You can make those decisions and you can own those successes and failures on that journey. Absolutely. I particularly resonate with finding yourself a mentor or a coach. I think that's something that we should all do. I, I, I think we should learn this kind of stuff, you know, mindfulness, empowerment, growth, development, motivate, all of that stuff. I think we should have a separate course in high school or a separate subject in high school or university that 
kind of just teaches you this stuff. It changes your life to be able to think in that way, to change or to challenge some of the ways that we've been raised. Sometimes your parents might say, don't touch the stove, but they may not talk about the instances where you need to touch the stove. You know, so things things like that or the instances where it benefits you to touch the stove. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm completely with you. I think having a coach or a mentor, for me anyway, I, I would say it's crucial. And and the reason is, I, I look at it like if you're a kid, you you generally have a parent or a caregiver, and kids learn extremely fast. Partly that's just because they're kids, but it's also because kids are allowed to fail, and it's accepted that they fail. So. You know, in that process of learning how to walk, they fall so many times, but the parents there or the caregivers are there to stop them from hurting themselves badly, right? Mm. And that process allows them to grow at a ridiculous, like an exponential rate. And I think when we're adults, for some reason, we don't have that level of guidance or even we don't, I mean... As adults, I think it's our responsibility to seek out that level of guidance, not necessarily like a parent, but more like a coach or a mentor because a lot of this life has already been lived by other people and because there's such a, there there is a bit of time urgency. I mean, something we talked about in the Nursing Home Wisdom episode, there is a bit of urgency because one day this, this concert is going to end and, you know, it's, it's, it's nice if you can achieve certain things or learn certain things or get certain insights that have already been done by someone else, you know, or that can be sort of elicited from you, which is the beauty of coaching is the, the fundamental premise is that the answer is within you already, right? This yes. needs to be guided and brought out. hundred percent, hundred percent. I absolutely agree. Yeah, I, I would say having a coach or someone you can talk to about these types of things is crucial because, for example, if you're going through things like burnout, which I'm sure, and, and you know, we talked about it a little bit in our fatigue episode. If, if you're going through something like that, then you may not be realizing that you're also thinking those thoughts and they're leading you to feel or have those particular emotions. So you're, mm-hmm. in a way, you're doing burnout. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> I'm using your language. <laughs> Good bad, good bad. You know, so you may not register it in that way, but it's not until someone that either has gone through it themselves or someone who is versed in the topic, they identify that within you and they assist you and help you to solve that problem yourself and in your own way and not not just prescribing things to help you feel better. So it's almost like using your awesome, awesome analogy of being in a driver's seat, but in a car where the passenger has pedals and maybe in my case, a steering wheel. And I guess as an adult, perhaps something important for both of us that we found is to find the right person to to be in that passenger seat with you, but you're still driving. Mm. I like that. How can you be that person for someone else as a leader? So how can you be in, in someone else's passenger seat and, and, and guide them and empower them? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it starts with definitely setting your ego aside. 
that means that you've got to give up control. You've got to give up what you think is right necessarily and imposing that on other people or imposing that on your team or your partner. It's about understanding what their wants and needs are, what their values are, how they behave when they're stressed, how they behave when they're empowered. And it's about maximizing how they want to be motivated as well. So I think you you have to definitely understand or get to know the people around you on a deeper level to be able to do that. I read this book by Kim Scott called Radical Candor. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. She kind of um, talks about if there's trust between two people, then there's nothing you can't say to each other. I think there's the element of trust there as well. And to build trust, it takes time. You need to work at it. And she talks about caring personally and then challenging directly. When you have someone in your life that cares for you deeply, when they're trying to push you or trying to bring out the best in you, then you're going to be receptive towards that. You have to get to know a person. You have to get to know what motivates them, what excites them, what their passions are, and then leaning into those to create an environment that fosters those feelings and allows them to flourish. Kind of reminds me of that concept of don't take feedback, particularly negative feedback from someone you wouldn't ask for advice from. I don't know. I think that might be limiting because some of the feedback that they give will ultimately be helpful because I think all feedback is a gift, all of it. There's no negative feedback, right? So the the negativity is the way that you interpret it, I would say. It's like, wow, this person took time out of their day to tell me how terrible I am. <laughs> like, I'm so thankful for that. Because like, I think to myself, okay, there's something I can learn here. Whether it be, it may be patience, it may be resilience, it may be that I may need to change up my strategy and how I communicate. Or it just means that I may not be reaching a particular part of my audience or something I'm saying. Or, yeah, or by hearing how terrible I am. <laughs> like, I, I think... Yeah, it's always it's always a gift. I really like that. All feedback is a gift. I'm not sure if I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so the the feedback is a gift, but whether it provides value, the value judgment is different. Because some feedback you could say, oh, okay, I, I need to take that on board because there's validity in what is being said. But then there's other feedback that may be, say, um, mudslinging or ad hominem, which doesn't necessarily provide value, but it's still a gift. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's a useful I, 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 I appreciate the time. Yeah, I appreciate the time that you spent um, out of your day or your life to, to um, grace me with that. Yeah. Oh, I'm more than happy to gift you with uh, how terrible <laughs> you are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was playing. I was playing. So, that, um, so that's great. I just want to, just using the lens of, if someone's listening, for them to walk away from this episode with something really tangible that they can do to walk, you know, go towards that journey of of empowerment. What advice would you give? I would say, well. I like to think there's two different types of empowerment or I've come across two different types of empowerment, which is personal and then there's the people around you. So what do you mean in both sense or? 
for just the people around you? I'm intrigued. I think I think we start with for yourself first. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's where it has to start. It has to start with yourself and then you can radiate it outwards, I think. So, so you can what, still Sorry? Yeah. So so what can you do for yourself? What's one one or two things that are specific and actionable that that you would advise? I think it would benefit you to sit down and go through some of the key things that happen in your life and pay particular attention towards how you felt, what went well, what didn't go so well, and what you could learn from that. And then there will there'll be common themes that come out of that, very common themes, things like compassion, optimism. That's true for me personally, but, you know, things like integrity, courage, uh, motivation, drive. So once you come up with those, then you can think about what you want to achieve. The way, the way that Dr. Marley got me to think about mine was she got me to write down a hundred things that I wanted to do. And <laughs> towards the end of it, I was thinking about the different countries I want to travel to. And I was like, oh, geez, am I, am I at a hundred yet? <laughs> you know? um, so it's difficult. It's hard. It takes a lot of introspection to get to that space, but that would be the first step. And then the next step would be to come up with a statement that encapsulates all of those elements. What, what's important to you? What, what are your values? What do you want to achieve in life? So it, it sounds like that's the process or journey you took to developing or refining your purpose statement. But it sounds like that process was empowering for you to get to that level and clarity and, and self-awareness. Yeah, definitely. It, like you said, it gives you the clarity. Yeah. It gives you drive and focus to where you want to aim the bow, you know, and by trying over and over again, like I'm, I think I'm building that muscle memory to be able to hit the target over and over again. And I think the way that I feel about it is I want to share that with everybody. I want to share that with the rest of the world because of just the impact that it's had on my life. I know that it can provide value to other people as well or the people in my network, the people around me, it can, it can provide value in their lives. <laughs> Which is your purpose statement. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. what, what's one of, the, one of the things that have come out of it for you? Because you, you, felt, you felt like you were in the passenger seat and now you feel like you're in the driver's seat. What's changed? Other than, other than what's going on inside you, like what's changed um, in terms of impact and results? I've been able to take control in my future and, and the direction I want my life to go in. Sometimes it's not as clear because when you're in the when you're in the day to day, you may be leaving one day and going into the other. And it's not until you like stop, pause and do some introspection that you realize, oh wow, I actually have come a really long way from the person I was. And I think it's just made me a lot clearer in my intentions, in being able to communicate how I feel and think and what that effect has on my behavior and my actions and ultimately the results that I get. Any specific examples or stories that come to mind? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and that's all we have time for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's, I've been in a situation where I had to adapt the way that I 
led a particular team. So, so I came to this realization when the leadership aspect of that role was not complementary to how I led in the past. So it forced me to adapt and build and flex and train new muscles in my leadership skill set. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't personally empowered. The fact that I was empowered enabled me or unlocked part of myself that wanted to keep trying, that wanted to keep going and did not want to give up. And had I not done that, I would have been shut off from developing new skill sets. You know, it's it's definitely like touching the stove. So I felt like I was I was sitting on the stove. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't empowered. It's it's really powerful because that story suggests that you're that you you're empowered or you felt empowered on on a very personal level. And then the next layer to that is as a leader, because you want to empower everyone around you as well. I can just see the big smile on your face when someone that you're leading or coaching or mentoring sits on the stove as well on their own accord and, and, and goes on their own journey. Oh, absolutely. You just want to celebrate that with them because that's a massive, that's a big thing to do. You know, sometimes you feel like you're, you're biting off more than you can chew. And so you chew like hell, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and to see someone doing that, I don't know. I, I really admire that. I look up to that. When you do that for yourself, you sit on the stove. And for people who don't know what stove, why we keep talking about stoves, episode episode <laughs> one, check it out. Touch the stove. Yeah. And I, I'm interested to know for for you when you touch the stove or even sit on the stove, do you celebrate it? <laughs> it's it's hard to celebrate it at the time. It just feels like second nature. Like you, you're you're jumping into something head first. When you're going through the day to day, it may not be apparent to you, but when you start to look back on timescales, you know, over a time period, you're like, when, you, when you're doing that introspection and to you, maybe when you're doing your gratitude journaling, for example, that you realize, oh, wow, I've, I've actually come a long way. You know, I've, I've made massive leaps and actively thought about how I want to achieve a particular thing in my life. And do you celebrate it then? Yes. You have to celebrate. You have to celebrate the wins. Sometimes um, I celebrate small wins by going for a jog. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, love that. I've I've earned this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy every minute of it. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. It's powerful, dude. Powerful, and I I can totally relate to that idea of like you feel like you stumbled on something that that has really changed your life, and you just want to shout it from the rooftop. So, yeah, you sound like a you sound like you would make a great, well, you are a great leader. I know that, but you sounds like you'll 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 be such a valuable person to have on any team, whether you're the con- like the individual contributor or the or the leader. Just based on what what gets a smile on your face, it's it's very. I mean, in that in that constant talk of like putting your ego aside, I imagine there was a time, and even probably still now, where the ego still comes a knocking a hundred percent sometimes it's just yelling in the back of your head and that's when you know that's time to disengage or to 
just pull back a little bit. It's a, it's a work in progress and that's what I love about it. It's always a work in progress and there's always something to learn. There's always something that you can improve on to build upon. But th- thank you very much for that um, high praise. Hopefully you find some value <laughs> in that feedback, bro. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. This was great. What What's one one takeaway? If, if people people needed something that just to grab onto, what would that be for you? I think it would be the importance of empowering other people. Like, you know, why, why would we want to do it? For me personally, to be able to create that environment that helps people realize their greatness, maximize their potential and create massive impact, that to me is the most rewarding gift. To be able to help create motivated driven, focused leaders who are self-sufficient and who won't, who will not only fix things, but they'll also look at doing things better, faster, smarter, and they'll innovate. I think that's a, that's a big part of being empowered is, is the ability to, to open yourself to innovation and create that environment that helps people build themselves into what they want to become. It's a beautiful thing because there's such a synergy between your purpose and and contribution and service like it sounds like if your purpose is to or you know the purpose of this episode is to help people realize their greatness maximize their potential and create a massive impact and in doing that in empowering other people to do that yeah that empowers us as well and empowers you as well i think that's really it's beautiful we need more of that we need more of that yeah absolutely I know you've used the word power in there a lot. And, you know, when we're talking about empowerment, we're talking about specific types of power that you can lean on to do that. You can lean on reward power or coercive power or expert power. And these particular types of power have been defined by Bert Raven and John Finch. And this was developed in the 1960s and it's been refined over time. It kind of just goes to show that even after almost, let's say, 50 years, 50, 60 years, these learnings are still prevalent within our social structure. So it's, it's something about our professional um, environment that hasn't changed in 50, 60 years that enables us to define power in this way. So I'd say, you know, when you're able to lean on, your, on, on these different types of power, you can get either unintended results or intended results but i think being able to lean on your referent power will give you what's what's called empowerment you just like casually potentially dropped a wisdom bomb just then you talked about types of power what do you mean what types are there yeah yeah so there's five types of power and it expanded to six types in the 1960s but there's five main types of power there's reward power so this is the power that you have to offer someone a reward for things like, um, for example, um, offering a, your child pocket money for doing chores. So that's that's an example of reward power. That's good for some people. So children may be driven by receiving a reward in order to get a task done. But then you're prone to creating a culture of prioritizing getting things done rather than how they're done or whether they're done to a particular standard. So that's reward power. Coercive power is if you don't do your chores, then you're going to be grounded. 
So you're coercing them into doing what you want or doing what you think is right. And that may work in the short term, but over the long term, you're going to jeopardize the relationship between the two parties or the two people or um, the organization. Is the coercive power always implicating an, a, a punishment or negative reinforcement? Yes, negative reinforcement. That's right. So it's when okay. people are coerced, they'll, they may do things out of strict compliance, but they'll do it begrudgingly. And there, there would be a sense of resentment and a lack of loyalty or respect when those things are done. So it's, it's, a very, it's a very short-term thing. The time horizon that you're looking at is short-term. So if you're a leader, that doesn't sound like not really a useful type of power to flex? It depends. I've never had to flex that type of power, but that's probably because I'm at the start of my leadership journey. I think I wouldn't want to say that you don't ever need to use it, but say, for example, if there's lives at, at risk. Yeah, right. For example, if, if something's happening and there's lives at risk and you may need to coerce an organization or someone to do the right thing so that people don't lose their lives. I, I would say, but that's a very ex extreme example. So coercive power? Okay, cool. What's the third one? Third one is expert power. Oh, I like this one already. Yeah, yeah, this is where you're leaning on your expertise to guide decision making. And when you overly rely on this power, you can build a dependence on your expertise. And it may not necessarily build a competent structure beneath you or around you to be able to take responsibility to make their own decisions. So it's prioritizing um, being right over doing what's best. That's probably where you may not be leaving much room for the people around you to make decisions on their own and you're deferring to your own judgment. And it's often kind of mirrored within the organization with rhetoric like, ask Buddhima, he, he'll know the answer. You know, So rather than going out and reaching for that themselves. It sounds like very much a, a credibility. And, I, and, and, and there is there is some definite value to that but you run the risk as you said of the ego be playing a bigger role than than what could be useful within a team setting 100 percent, you know and and the strength of a plate is a weakness isn't it so when you're not leaving room for some of your high performers that want to learn and that want to make mistakes on their own and if you're not making room for that then you may alienate some of them so you're creating a knowing organization rather than a learning organization yeah oh, wow i like i like that distinction yeah it's like using that um that car analogy it's like they're in the driver's seat and they're like just get in <laughs> yeah get get in and i'll show you how to do it i'll teach you how to do it but then they never give up the driver's seat <laughs> yeah. so you're always or, just in or, the passenger or they seat. leave the driver's seat and the passenger's like well i still can't drive this <laughs> <laughs> yeah like yeah that. that's right that's number three yeah. what's number four yeah, number four is legitimate power. This is the power that's vested in your position. For example, do the chores because where your parent. You, you're having to do the chores because there is power that's vested in either a social structure or a organizational structure within your role within that structure. So it often comes with the formal um, position and title. But I think you need to be careful with the way that you flex this power because if you overflex it, then there's a tendency you may be moving into the coercive space. 
But if you're using it in a controlled way, you're allowing your team, your organization to make decisions and you're creating space for people to make mistakes as well and making sure that people are involved in the decision-making process rather than it being you calling the shots all the time. For example, if you see your, if you see your child about to make a glaring mistake, you know, you just jump right in and say, okay, okay, all right, stop that. Don't stick the fork in the, in the plug. <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, again, yeah. You know, that, that's where you're trying to avoid something. But, but if they're playing around and, you know, if they're, if, if they're in the jungle gym and they're jumping around and obviously you want to protect them, but you still want them to make their own mistakes and you want them to go out and play and enjoy their time. And that's an analogy between a parent and a, and a child, not, um, not an organization yeah that, that almost it almost sounds to me like legitimate power is a more versatile form of coercive power where you have a bit of the coercive power when needed but you're also very a bit more open open for mistakes you you set a platform or you create an environment where no no so um Anybody can have coercive power. So say, for example, if I was to go to my supervisor and say, do this for me or else, <laughs> that, that it just shows, it just shows I'm, I'm flexing my coercive power. It may not have a lot of legs because I don't have legitimate power to lean on to be able to do that. Uh-huh. But yeah, there's complementary uh-huh. ways that you can use the powers. So the legitimate power is purely vested in the position. It's a social and professional contract. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. No, that's a great distinction. So that's number four. What's number five? Number five is referent power. So this is considered the holy grail of power. You know, this is the one that you want to lean on, which is your ability to build relationships, to create trust, to create, to motivate, to influence, and to tap into someone's personal sense of purpose and and their willingness to contribute. It, it's really got to do with what motivates them or what's called their intrinsic motivation, which is really what empowerment is all about. But a tendency to overuse this may be, um, you may be um, erring on the side of flattery and um, appeasing. You may potentially lose respect with some people that may not respond well to this type of power because people respond differently to these different types of powers in different situations. Some may be more motivated by reward than wanting to live into particular morals or say, for example, if the organization's mission was to improve their stance on climate change, then someone who responds positively to reward power would need to be sold on the idea that they can be rewarded for their contributions or their efforts towards that. So they may not respond well to a referent leadership style where that person is improving the company's stance on climate change. So it's about understanding or it's about using it to the right degree in particular um, instances or circumstances. So it sounds like a very dynamic form of power, which at the base of it is, or at the foundation of it is a, a high level of trust and, and rapport with the people that you're, you're working with? That's right. The downside, I would say, is that it takes a long time to develop. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is, yeah, building relationship, building trust, that takes a long time, particularly with some people that may not necessarily 
identify with your vision initially? Yeah, I mean, m- most great things uh, take a long time. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and yeah. well, one one thing that came to mind is, uh, have you heard of Maslow's hierarchy? Yes. You know, like at the top of the pyramid, it's about self-actualization, which is the idea of, you know, leaning in to and maximizing your full potential and living into it. Yeah. And there's this really cool concept that I heard on a podcast where this this entrepreneur called Rory Vaden was talking about another layer, an extra layer on top of that. And I think it's particularly... It just resonated when you were talking about reverent power, which is others' actualization. So you help other people realize and live into their full potential, which sounds like the ultimate outcome of reverent power. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's it's really just the power that you have by building familiarity with the people around you and, and respect, mutual respect. Yeah. And what what is this cheeky sixth power that suddenly came out of nowhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was developed in the nineteen mid the mid nineteen sixties. So um, yeah, this one was added afterwards. Uh, this one's called informational power, and it's the power that you have when you control information, and particularly when um, others need that to accomplish something. For example. So that's the six types of power. Informational power. <laughs> Just came to mind patent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you have the power when you hold the patent, right? <laughs> yeah. it, I, think the, I think perhaps an, a caveat here is that all, all of those types of power could play a, a role that's useful at particular times, right? All the reverent powers. Yes is the Holy Grail, as you said, there's still a place for all those types of power. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Buddhima, so do you have any closing remarks? No. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Solve for Greatness podcast with your hosts, Dr. G and Buddhima. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and share. See you soon.